I'm not sure if you've uh, heard the story. Uh, actually, I don't even know if it's true. It's probably not true, but I like it anyway, so I'm going to tell you about it anyways. Uh, there's a story about two soldiers that were standing outside of the empty tomb, and they're standing there, and one of the soldiers looks over to uh, the other one, and he says, man, we are dead meat. What are we going to do? And the other one looks back over, and he says, dude, don't worry about it. A year from now, no one's ever going to remember this. No one will ever remember this. And here we are, 2,000 years later. And not only do we still remember that empty tomb, but we celebrate what, what God did for us through that empty tomb, through the life of Jesus and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And what's, what's fascinating to me is, is as we begin to talk about Easter, uh, it doesn't really matter what people's spiritual life is. It doesn't matter if they've been in church a long time or if they haven't been to church in, a, in their entire life. When we begin to talk about Easter, people have some general idea. Easter is supposed to be something about Jesus and supposed to be something about the cross and something about resurrection. And, and people get the idea of what Easter is generally, generally about. And, and, and so what happens is, is when, you, when you begin to ask people, hey, what is it that makes you a Christian? What makes a Christian a Christian? It's funny because people will begin to take uh, these ideas that they've heard. So as they've grown up, they've heard things from their family, from their friends about this is what a Christian is. Maybe their teachers say, well, this is what a Christian is. Maybe they watch TV and, and they listen to some guy on TV tell you this is what a Christian is. And so what happens is people take all of these different voices, all of these different opinions... And they kind of mix them all together in this bowl. And they stir it all up. And they say, well, I know it's got to do something with Jesus and something about a resurrection and something about religion and, and something about this and that. And so they take this and they mix it up. And then when you ask them, hey, what makes a Christian? They take a little bit of whatever they've got mixed in together. And they say, here's what it is. Here's what I think it means to be a Christian. Here's what I think it means to have a right relationship with God. In fact, there's a little video that kind of uh, points a little bit of that paints a little bit of that picture. Christianity is based on more than just a single individual in history. I have Muslim friends, I have Christian friends. Most of the Christians I've met, I've, I haven't had a problem with. Like the Ten Commandments, I believe in those. Do I like Christians? In your opinion, what does it mean to be a Christian? In my opinion, which is probably not that prevalent, I think it means to treat your fellow man as you would wish to be treated yourself and to believe that um, um, Christianity is based on more than just a single individual in history. To be a Christian means that you follow rules. You know, you follow, I guess, their, uh, the... Uh, the testament, whatever somebody Jesus Christ wrote, and, and you follow uh, the rules. And I believe in those rules, like the Ten Commandments. I believe in those. So that's the good thing about Christians. Do you think something changes when you become a Christian? I, I think for each person, it's going to be different. It could be your your lifestyle changes. It could be um, you know your relationships with other people change. I think just as a person, you'll, especially if you embrace a new religion, that's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, no, I don't think so. You don't think that you live differently or anything like that? You think you just become a Christian and that's that? Yeah. Uh, I'm Italian and Catholic, 
and uh, in Italy, uh, I was born in Italy, uh, Catholics, we go to a church, uh, Christmas, Easter, and funerals and weddings. So, you know, it doesn't mean that much. And I follow that. So I think this kind of paints this, this picture that um, Christians, we, 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 people kind of take this idea of whatever they hear and they kind of mix it in together to say, well, this is what I guess it means to be a Christian. And as a pastor, when I talk to people about what does it mean for you to have a right relationship with God, what does it mean for you to be a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus, I find that people usually fall into one of three categories. Three categories that people usually give me a response of. The first response is somebody would say that they are sure that they are in a right relationship with God. But there is no confidence in that. There's no peace. There's no assurance. And that is a pretty tough place to be in. I mean, this is somebody who, who, who thinks they know what it means, who, who thinks, well, I, I kind of get this idea, this is what I'm supposed to do, but really, I'm not really sure. I don't have that confidence. I don't have that peace about it. I hope I'm right, but I'm not exactly sure. This can be somebody who feels like they're really tight with God, but underneath, there is no peace about that. Or this could be a person who is pursuing religion, who's trying to be a good person, who's trying to be good enough to earn God's approval and to meet God's standard. But really, when we're trying to do that, there is no peace in that because we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. The second response, the second type of people that we see is these are people who are not sure where they stand with God and they are not really confident where they stand with God and they don't really care anyways. These are, 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 are people who they just don't really care. So maybe, maybe they haven't thought about God very much at all or, or, or maybe they're too busy pursuing their own things and they aren't really to give any time to think about God or, or process whether or not God should be a part of their life. Or maybe these are people who refuse to believe that there's any purpose in their life. They refuse to believe that there is any higher power, there is any God in their life, even though the world speaks very clearly of who God is. And the third response, the third response I get from people is these are people who would say that they are sure that they are in a right relationship with God and they have confidence about that. They have peace about where they stand with God. And ultimately, today as we study God's word, my prayer today is that through the words of Jesus, through these famous last words of Jesus on the cross, that every one of us in here would say, yes, yes, beyond a shadow of doubt, I know that I am in a right relationship with God. I am confident of that. And I can have peace today about that. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in uh, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 23. If you need a Bible, we've got some ushers in the back. Just slip your hand up. We'd love to be able to come and bring uh, one of these Bibles up to you. It's also going to be on the screen in a minute, so you can follow along on the screen as well. The context of where we are in Luke chapter 23, Jesus, he's already been falsely accused. He was falsely accused by people who made up lies because Jesus had done nothing wrong. He was falsely tried, and he was falsely convicted to sentence the sentence of death we've seen jesus he's been tortured he's been he's been beaten by the soldiers to the point that he is beyond recognition he's been beaten to the point where he's almost losing consciousness 
And at that point, those soldiers forced Jesus to carry that heavy wooden cross to the place of crucifixion. And they take Jesus' hands and they nail his hands to that cross. And they take his feet and they nail his feet to that cross. And they lift him up and they suspend him in the air with heaven above and the earth below. And on either side of Jesus, there are two criminals. Two criminals that are enduring the same type of crucifixion on that cross. In fact, the Gospel of Mark identifies these criminals not just as criminals, but Mark identifies them as thieves. And so this is where our story picks up. The interaction between Jesus and these two criminals on either side of him. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start reading in verse 39. And it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the famous last words of Jesus on the cross, he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Famous last words. Today you will be with me in paradise. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful for the opportunity to open up your word, God. I'm thankful that this isn't just coming and hearing a pastor spout his opinion about what he thinks life is and, 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 and what, what, what uh, religion is about. But God, this is your word. This is you speaking directly to every one of us. God, I pray that you would give us a deeper understanding than we've ever known. God, I pray that you would give us a deeper appreciation than we would ever known. God, I pray that right now that your spirit would rest on us and that you would allow us to focus and to understand and that you would speak clearly to every one of us. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As I mentioned, I think the Bible, I think God's word wants us to see this morning very clearly, how each and every one of us can be sure that we are in a right relationship with God and that we can have that kind of confidence, that kind of peace. And so as we look at this interaction between Jesus and these two criminals on either side of him, I think there's going to be three questions that are going to come up, that, that, that three questions that we're going to have to answer for us to have that kind of confidence of where we stand with God. First question, look at, look at verse 41. Verse 41 says, this is the, 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 the thief. He's saying, and we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. See, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we understand our need? Do we see our need? Do you acknowledge, do you acknowledge your, your, you, you have a need of forgiveness and you have the need of a savior? See, there's one thief on that cross. There's one thief on one side, and he's proud, and he's arrogant, and he's taunting Jesus. But that second thief, that second thief, he knows that what they are getting is what they deserve. He knows that what they have done deserves punishment. And he knows that those two thieves on either side of the cross of Jesus, he knows that what they are getting is their due reward. What about you? Do you see your need truth is a lot of people would say, no, no, I, I don't really see my need. I don't really see my need for God. I mean, I haven't done that much wrong. 
I mean, I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. Uh, you know, you know I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've, I, I try hard. You know, I'm not as bad as any of the Kardashian sisters. You know, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, I, I pay most of my taxes most of the time. You know, I'm pretty all right. I should be all right with God because I'm not that bad of a person. See, a lot of people simply don't see their need. So let me, let me help you kind of uh, make a point. Let me help draw this little bit of a conclusion. Let's do this. I want you to raise your hand with me in a second. How many of you would say, I've ever told a lie? How many of you would say, I've told a lie? And just raise your hand and say, I- I've done that before. Now, if you're not raising your hand, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're lying right now. And that's, that's your business. You can deal with that on your own. But if you've told a lie, if you've told a lie, what does that make you? Come on, let's just be honest. Don't be bashful. If you've told a lie, what does that make you? A dirty, rotten liar. Every one of you, myself included, we are dirty, rotten liars. That is what we are. How about this one? How many of you have ever cheated? We've ever cheated. First grade spelling test, you ever cheated on that? Cheated on your taxes? Uh, cheated, uh, cheated on a diet? Yeah, yeah. Bunch more hands just went up. Okay. I imagine most of us at one point or another in our life, we've probably cheated on something. So what does that make us? A cheater, right? Makes us a cheater. One more. How many of you would say that you have put something above God in your life? How many of you would say, at some point, I've put something above God in my life? Okay. And you know what that makes us? Idolaters. That makes us idolaters. Now, I'm not sure if you just caught what just happened right here, but I just said that every one of us in here, we are lying, cheating idolaters. Happy Easter. God bless you. God loves you. Welcome to Restoration Church. We are all lying, cheating idolaters, every one of us, myself included. This is the truth. I mean, let me, let me let you in on a little bit of secret here, okay? This might upset some of you, especially my in-laws, but, but let me just be honest with you. This is the honest truth. I deserve to be in jail. I deserve to be in jail. I've driven my car when I was on prescription drugs. I've stolen things before, and that was just last week. You know, just kidding. That was at least, you know, a little bit longer than last week, okay? But I honestly, if I'm being honest... I deserve punishment. I deserve punishment for what I have done. And the Bible is very clear about what you and I deserve. Because of our sin nature, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin, because of the fact that we are lying, cheating idolaters, what we deserve is death. This is what we should be getting. Think about this. My name tag's coming off. I'm Kevin, by the way. Think about this. You've got Jesus on this cross, and next to him are two thieves. These two thieves have seen everything going on for the past six hours. They've seen everything that has happened with Jesus. They've seen Jesus uh, uh, be led to the cross. They've seen Jesus being hung. They've seen Jesus, instead instead of being angry at the people that have put him there, they've seen Jesus pray for their forgiveness. They've seen and heard and witnessed the exact same things over the past six hours. 
Both of these thieves, they are suffering, they are dying, and they are in need of a Savior. But only one of these thieves recognized their need. The other one didn't. The question is, do you recognize your need? See, as a pastor, as a pastor, it's amazing because I can be in church and I can be talking to people. And I can be talking to two people at the same time. And you can tell one of them gets it. One of them gets it. You can see it. You, you can sense that one of them is engaged in the presence of God. There's a sense of humility. There's a, a sense of the presence of God. Yet the person sitting right next to them saw and heard the same exact thing. And they're as glazed over as a warm Krispy Kreme donut. Just there. They don't care. They're ready to go. They're keeping an eye on their watch. They're yawning. They're thinking about Easter egg hunts and all the things that are going to happen. One person sees their need and gets it, and the other doesn't. So my question to you, do you see your need? Question number two. Question number two is, who do you say that Jesus is? In verses 40 and 41, it says, The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. And now speaking of Jesus, he says, But this man has done nothing wrong. Even that criminal on the cross, he recognized there's something different about Jesus. He's sinless. He's done nothing wrong. So who do you say Jesus is? See, I mean, if we were to go and we were to go and look at every modern, uh, respectable scholar in, in, in the world, they would all agree that Jesus was a real man. They would all agree Jesus really lived. So that's not up for debate. We can't, you know, only the whacked out people say Jesus never lived. I mean, we can't deal with that. We have to acknowledge that Jesus lived. But the question is, who do you say he is? Was he just a good teacher? Was he an incredibly nice guy, but he was incredibly whacked out in his brain? Maybe he had some sort of brain issue that caused him to do the things that he did. Was he some guy that had some power from somewhere to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to, to uh, open blind eyes, to open deaf ears? I mean, what kind of power would Jesus have to do these sorts of things? Was Jesus simply a man who, for some reason unknown to us, split time into two with his death? Or is Jesus the sinless Son of God? The innocent Lamb of God who gave his life in our place for us, for our sins. And on the third day, God rolled away the stone and the world found that tomb was empty and that Jesus had risen from the grave. Who do you say Jesus is? Not your husband, not your wife, not your mom, not your dad, not your grandma, not your grandpa. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus asked this question several times while he was on the earth in his earthly ministry. At one time, he asked Peter, he said, Peter, who do the people say that I am? And Peter said, well, you know, some people say you're a prophet, and some people say you're a good teacher, some people say this and that. And, and, and Jesus gets really, leans in and says, Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded and said, you are the Christ 
the son of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, you've got to look at his life. You've got to look at his life. Scripture tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He humbled himself, taking on the form of, of a servant. He took on the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death. See, when Jesus was born, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was he born in a palace? No, he was born in a stable, not surrounded by servants, but surrounded by animals. When Jesus died, was he seated on the high throne that he deserves? No, no, no. He died while hanging on a cross. Did he wear a crown of gold? No, no. He wore that crown of thorns. Was he surrounded by worshipers and servants? No, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was surrounded by thieves. And when his enemies hurled insults at him, remember what he did? When, when man did their worst to Jesus, he prayed for them and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. When Jesus had, uh, was on the cross, he looked up at his heavenly father and he said, To tell us, die, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is perfect. The work that you have sent me to do, to die for the sins of the world, it has been completed. And then he said, the father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And three days later, the Bible says that God provided that the work was perfect. He proved that the work was perfect. He proved that the work was done because death, hell, and the grave was defeated by the empty tomb. The stone was rolled away and Jesus was risen. Who? Do you say that Jesus is? Question one. Do you see your need? Question number two. Who do you say that Jesus is? And question number three. Have you received his grace? There's two criminals next to Jesus. On the one side, you've got a proud, arrogant thief. And the other side, you've got a thief who recognizes his need. Who, who recognizes who Jesus is and now will experience his grace. Verse 42 says, that second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded with the most grace-filled words to a man who can do, do no good works. To a man who could do nothing religious. To a man who couldn't go join a church. To a man who couldn't do anything to pay that debt back. All he could do was believe in who Jesus is. And Jesus uttered those famous life-changing last words. He said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, when you ask that question, how do you come into a right relationship with God? Many people would say that you have to do good works. You have to be good enough. You have to pay things back. You have to earn your way to God. But if that was true, if that was true, then Jesus wouldn't have, to, wouldn't have had to come and die for your sins, would he? I mean, this criminal on the cross, he's received God's grace. He's received God's forgiveness. But notice a few things. He could do no good works because his hands were nailed to that cross. 
This criminal who received forgiveness, his feet were nailed to that cross. He couldn't go and do errands of mercy. He couldn't go and do good things in the community because his feet were nailed to that cross. This this criminal who was forgiven, he couldn't be baptized. He couldn't turn over a new leaf. He couldn't join a church. He couldn't do any of those things. All he could do was throw himself at the grace of God. The Bible says so clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. See, you are never saved by, by, by doing good works. You're never saved by religion, by trying to be good enough. That would never work. The Bible says we are only saved by the grace of God. And this grace, it's not earned. It has to be received, just like a gift. So what does this mean for you and I? Oftentimes throughout the Bible, you notice that there really becomes two choices. In the Garden of Eden, way back in the beginning of time, there was two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you ate of that tree, you would die. But there was also the tree of life. And that tree... He would live. Jesus, during his ministry, he said that one day when he returns, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing, you will be in one of two places. No matter where you are, if you are in a right relationship with God, when he comes back, you will be taken up into heaven. But if you're not in a right relationship with God, Jesus says you will be left behind. And ultimately, here today, You have two choices. You can identify with that arrogant, proud thief. Or you can identify with that thief who received the grace of God. See, if you remember, both thieves wanted to be saved. That first proud, arrogant thief, remember what he said? He said, you saved others. Why don't you get down off that cross? Why don't you save us as well? Save yourself and save us. He wanted to be saved. But the repentant thief, he said, don't you fear God? This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw his need. He recognized who Jesus was. And he received God's grace. And he heard those famous last words, not only famous last words, but those famous life-changing words. Words that change life forever. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. The question is, which thief will you identify with? Which thief will you identify with? As we get ready to close in a word of prayer, I want to just ask you to do me a favor. Just close your eyes for a minute. Just bow your head for a minute. Just listen to some words. See, there are many here today that God has been trying to get through to to a long time. He's been trying to get through to you. Let me tell you what, today is the day. Today is that day. Before you were even born, God knew that this would be the day that you would settle that issue. 
That you would choose to no longer identify with that arrogant, proud thief, but that today you would choose today to identify yourself as one who, who has received the grace of God like that second thief on that cross. That today you would choose to be sure of where you stand with God and to be, have that confidence that you know where you stand with God. Today, today right now, by faith, would you believe in the perfect work of God's Son through Jesus Christ? And, and at that moment when you believe, your sins will be completely forgiven. The burden is lifted. The guilt has been removed. You are made right in the eyes of God. You will be flooded with joy and, and, and the peace of knowing what it means to be in a right relationship with God. Please, today, don't settle for that cheap imitation called religion. Enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If this is you today, would you call out to God as a thief on the cross did? Would you acknowledge your need before God? Would you acknowledge who Jesus is? Would you receive His grace today? Would you pray with me and say, Jesus, Jesus, I, I need you. Jesus, I see my need. I am a, a sinner. I'm a lying, cheating idolater, needing a Savior. Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of the living God who died for me, Jesus. Jesus, I want to experience your grace. I want to be made right with you. Not by my good works, but because of your perfect work. This is my prayer, Jesus. Forgive me. Make me brand new. See, at this moment, if this is your prayer, all of your sins are gone from the eyes of God. And today, you are a new person. You are in a right relationship with God. Those of you who prayed that prayer with me today, would you just lift your hand? Just say, hey, pastor, I prayed that prayer today. Pastor, I, I, I prayed that prayer today. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. For those of you in here today, that that's hard. You, you, you want to follow Jesus, but you've got these questions. You've got these concerns. You just don't understand it. I'll tell you what. We want to love you through that. Because we've all been in that spot where, where we want to, to believe, but we have these questions and we're just not sure I'll tell you what we have for you today. We have, a, we have a book called The God Questions. And I would love to give you that book today. If you would believe that, if you would read that book, and you would begin to say, God, I want you to answer my questions. I want to I be real with you. Outside on the resource table after service, there will be a couple of, of folks there. And we've got a book that we just want to put in your hands. And, and you can begin to deal with those questions that you have. And we'd encourage you, have the conversation. For those of us in here today who have already accepted the grace of God into our lives, as you are reflecting on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder, I wonder how many of you struggle with what I struggled with for such a long time. For years, I felt the guilt of my sins. And I could understand that maybe, that maybe God could forgive you, but His forgiveness to me just didn't seem real 
I mean, you could say that maybe I was secure, that I, that I knew I was a follower of Christ, but I didn't have a sense of peace or assurance or confidence. I knew that God loved you, but I didn't feel like he loved me. I was too bad. I was too unworthy. See, I want to pray for you today that as, a, as you are honest before God, that God would break through that lie of the evil one and that today you would experience his goodness and his grace. That the resurrection would be a reminder that Jesus always keeps his promises. That when you surrendered your life to Jesus, when Jesus told you, today you will be with me in paradise, that we would be reminded that the fact that the tomb is still empty today and tomorrow and every day forward, that his grace is still yours today and tomorrow and every day forward, and your salvation is secured in him, that we can be confident in knowing where we stand with him because of the empty tomb, because of the grace of God, because it wasn't what we had to do to earn his approval. My prayer for you is even that this week that you would walk in renewed confidence in renewed assurance, in renewed peace, that nothing, not even our sin, can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. I tell you, if you're new to Restoration Church, we're going to spend the next few minutes doing, uh, having a time of response. We believe that God's word isn't just to be heard, but it is to be acted upon. So over the next 10 minutes or so, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to play a couple of songs. And I'd encourage you to act upon what God has done and get what God has put in your heart today. I'd encourage you to spend some time praying to God, asking for his presence, asking for his grace to cover you today. If you would like to say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? I would encourage you during this time of response, come forward to this front row. I'll be standing up here. I would love to have, I'd be honored and blessed to have the opportunity to pray for you, to pray for the difficulty in your life, to pray that you would understand what it means to come into a right relationship with him. I'd encourage you, take these next few minutes, be bold, come up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? And if you're not praying, I'd invite you to sing along with the worship team, to join them in praise and worship for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you. That we can empty ourselves and just thank Jesus for that empty tomb. Let's pray. God, I pray for those in here today who have surrendered into a right relationship with you. God, that is a beautiful thing. God, I pray that you would give them that, that sureness of where they stand with you, that confidence that today they walk out of this building as a new creation, that God, you have saved them, that you have brought them into a right relationship with you and nothing could ever separate them from you because of that. God, I pray that there would be a celebration in their hearts today because of what you have done, that they would live in gratitude for who you are and for what you have done in their lives. God, I pray for those of us here today who, who we've, we've been in a relationship with you, but God, we lack that peace. We lack that assurance, that confidence, that today, because of that empty tomb, that we would walk out with renewed confidence, that that tomb has been empty every day forward, 
And it's because of that empty tomb that we know where we stand with you tomorrow and the day after that. That it is through your grace that that tomb was empty, that we are made right with you. God, I pray that you would give us that confidence that we need, that we know where we stand with you. That our lives would be changed because that tomb was empty and because there's nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. God, I pray as we have this time to respond through worship, Lord, that you would meet us here, that your presence would continue to rest on us. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen.